morning all. Tonight's Bible reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which with with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Amen. Thanks so much, Ryan, for sharing that. Well, tonight um, we're beginning our new series on um, the blockers for people coming to faith uh, in Australia and New Zealand. And uh, this is based on the work uh, Towards Belief by Carl Fays. And he's done a lot of research um, on, on what actually prevents people from coming to faith uh, in Australia and New Zealand in particular. And this first one on suffering uh, is possibly the top blocker in the world. Uh, and it's, it's one that keeps recurring. It is something that... Um, repeats over and over through the centuries, through all countries and things like that. The difficulty comes though, I'm trying to speak and present to you something that is about the people who are not coming to faith. So as we do that, there's very little scripture involved in presenting those types of arguments. So this is tonight a bit of a balance between the two, the suffering that we face as Christians and the promises that we can hang upon and hold to uh, in order to move forward. And within that, is how we should be speaking to people who question us on how the, there can be a loving, all-powerful God while they're still suffering in the world. And a uh, very difficult subject, and I've got to tell you right up, there's going to be no quick answer for you where you can just give them a one-liner and they're going to be satisfied. In fact, there are no answers, and none that we can be assured of. So uh, it's going to be an interesting evening. I hope that I present this in a way that actually helps you. But the issue for us as Christians is that we profess this God who is a good and loving God. And we say that this God has this desire to restore us into a perfect relationship with Him. And so often we don't take the time to appreciate or understand that there's people who are genuinely suffering. And this subject of suffering and the imbalance of that with the God that we proclaim is a really big hurdle for so many people. And it's the thing that stops these people from drawing to faith. And as a result, people are angry with and disillusioned because of the suffering that we see. And much of that anger is pointed at God, and it's also pointed at those who follow God. And these people are left with this statement. 
if God is good and loves us and he can stop suffering and he doesn't, then something is wrong. And we proclaim an all-powerful God, the question is, well, why can't he stop it? Why doesn't he stop it? And that's what people want us to answer. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, I've prayed for your wisdom for this evening. And now I pray for open hearts and minds. I pray people will hear from you. I pray they'll engage with you and your word. And more than anything, I pray that they'll take something that they can use to draw others into your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've said, I've wreckled with this subject greatly. I have so many reams of paper at home that I've printed to try and get my head around how best to present this to you, and I really don't have any answers. There's going to be no takeaway one-liner that you can use to bring people closer to faith or help them to understand why there is suffering in the world when this loving or powerful God rules it. And I want you to understand, I've said this before, I've said it a lot in our smaller groups, we are not about winning debates with people. If you have debates with people about a subject and you come away saying, I won that debate, who really won? And the people you were debating with, were they drawn closer to God as a result? And 99% of the time, they are not. We are not to argue with people. We are to draw them. We are to be that salt and light that gives them that taste, that wants them desiring more has them desiring more so this isn't about debating and there's this real tension between understanding where unbelievers are coming from and where we stand as christians and i want to help you in your walk with christ to draw closer to him and i suppose in recent times the most memorable interview is with an atheist called Stephen Fry, someone was saying the name as I said it, so it's obviously well known. And he had this interview in 2015 on a TV series called The Meaning of Life. And when he was asked about what he would say to God if he could, this was his reply. Or maybe even this, and maybe not. I'm all right this end. There you go. I would say to God, bone cancer in children? What's that all about? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? Pretty scathing, isn't it? He's actually um, under examination at the moment. Um, they're deciding whether they're actually going to charge him for blasphemy. The Irish laws are very different to us. And uh, it's interesting it's taken two years to bring that up, but he is under examination at the moment as to whether they're going to do that. And as I said, Stephen Fry is an atheist, and he bases his disbelief on God on the fact that if there were a God, then there should be no suffering or evil of any form. And this gentleman called Shane Clifton actually replies to this. And Shane Clifton made a number of things, and, but the one thing he wanted to say is, you can't actually say that God is responsible for evil. That's what he touches on. So when a horrible evil is cited as a reason for atheism, a theist, as in those who believe and study God, should resist 
replying with any suggestion that God has his reasons for causing or allowing such an evil. This is not only logically absurd, but it diminishes the horror of evil as if there could ever be justification for rape, murder, abuse, and so on. I'd imagine that now he'd possibly add terrorism and those types of things to it as well. And so there's this separation between evil and suffering. But many do suffer as a result of evil. So the thing we have to ask is, can there be suffering as well as a loving or powerful God? Is that possible? And it's really interesting because this gentleman goes on to reveal a little bit about his own journey. In my short time of living with quadriplegia, I've experienced staggering generosity, deep love, heartfelt compassion, courageous determination and exemplary care. Indeed, depending on how we respond, a case can be made that sickness, injury and disability, whatever their cause, enriches society since almost every human virtue arises as a response to hardship. Even so, there is a world of difference between the assertion that good can come from hardship and that suffering is necessary for the good. This is a guy who's speaking from his own experience. And the thing is, when he became a quadriplegic... I don't think he would have said, hallelujah, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Just an assumption on my part. But the thing is, his life experience has been such that he has seen God's hand move in a very real and powerful way. And he understands that people are responding to him because of his injuries. And the response is a very, very good thing. And he's spoken to a number of other people in his situation, and they have been encouraged by their injuries. In fact, to such an extent that they have said, if I had my time over, I would not change a thing. Mind-blowing. And so their suffering has brought blessing. I don't understand that. But obviously that doesn't help us to come to any conclusions as to why there is this suffering or why God doesn't stop it. So I want to walk through three presentations as we move through, which hopefully will take us from where atheists are to where we are as Christians. And the last leap's going to be pretty quick, but um, hopefully this will help us understand a few things so first we have this intellectual issue people uh, have weighed up what they believe about all of the arguments they have explored God to an extent they have thought about the suffering that's in the world to the extent and they have come to their own conclusions and so they frame their questions somewhere along the lines of why does God allow even though they don't believe in God why does God allow and they'll pitch their argument something like this if a loving all-powerful God exists he would not allow any suffering. Suffering exists, therefore, a loving God does not exist. When you think about it from their point of view, that's fairly logical, isn't it? And that, that's the way that they present their argument. And I think the one thing that we can all agree on is point number two. Amen? Suffering does exist. So we need to question the assumptions that lead to that first statement which has said if there is a loving all-powerful God he would not allow suffering. What is lying behind that? And when we think about all-powerful as Christians we've got some of these verses which tell us that God is all-powerful. All things are possible with God. Anything God does who can turn it back? There's no man who can do that. And he is before all things and he holds all things together, all of creation. And this is the issue. If God is all-powerful, then surely he would simply prevent all suffering before it happened. 
And we would all live in this wonderful, perfect world as these guys want to. And there's an assumption behind that as well. And that is that God cannot be all-loving and all-powerful if suffering exists. But is that actually true? There is most likely a second assumption in this as well. That in drawing those conclusions we have, we have a complete picture of the world, as in I have a complete picture of the world, so I understand everything that's going on in the world, and I also have this complete picture of God. I understand who He is and how He responds and everything like that. And as such, there can be no other way in which suffering can possibly be understood. There's no bigger picture than what I'm drawing my conclusions from. Romans 11, 33 and 34 tell us, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has the mind of the Lord and who has been his counsellor? No man. He is way above anything we can possibly understand. This passage tells us clearly that no man has known the, man, the mind of God and we cannot begin to understand his wisdom. So what is the bigger picture? Let me ask you a question. Is avoiding suffering, all suffering, a priority in your life? Yes or no? I've got some people saying no, some people are saying yes. Who goes to the gym? Seriously. I mean, you know, I, I, I'd never been to a gym really and um, Elena and I started dating and she was a real fitness fanatic and uh, she convinced me to go to the gym. And so I'd never been to a gym before and we told the guy who was instructing us that I'd never been to a gym and he said, well, I'm going to give you this series of exercises to do and I don't want you to do them all. He said, it won't go well for you. Well, I'm really a go-getter. You mightn't realise that, but if someone puts something on a piece of paper, I'm going to do it until I pass out, throw up or whatever. And so I did all these exercises and I nailed it. I got them all done. It was brilliant. Who knows what happened the next day? It was bad. It was real bad. I mean, I was bench pressing. I'd never bench pressed before in my life. And my arms were literally like this. I couldn't move them. I was working in a shop where we had this massive counter and I'm giving people change. I'm going... <laughs> and they felt sorry for me and reached over. Man, there was pain. It was crazy. But you know what? I went back. And we do those types of things. What about vaccinations? Is there a bit of pain involved in those? But we do it because there's a bit of good in that as well. And we do all these crazy things. Surgical procedures. I've got to be honest, I've been through a few surgical procedures and some of them when you come out, it's horrendous. Who's had varicose veins done? Yeah, not nice. You know, what the, the new procedure now is that you wear compression stockings after you finish. They're stunning too, I must say. And, and the thing is you're either laying flat on your back or you're walking. You're not allowed anything in between. Okay, so you're flat on your back or walking. And when you're flat on your back, your legs are elevated. When you're walking, you have to walk two kilometres. So I, I get up my first day that I'm supposed to be walking. I thought I was going to die. It was so bad, I'm walking. Fortunately, Woolies was 1K from our house where we were living. So I knew I'd walk there, walk back. And I'm staggering up the road. And this young boy goes past, fut, 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 in his car. And he goes, fut, 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 and comes back and he goes, mate. You look in a lot of pain. Can I give you a lift? I said, actually, I'd love it, but I can't. <laughs> so, 
But the thing is, we go through these things, and there's pain involved, but we do it because the end result is great. You know, I could hardly walk before that surgery because of those things, and so I suffered a little bit longer, and they told me I'd be redoing that every five years. I think it's been about eight years now. It's absolutely fantastic, I've got to tell you. And so, not all suffering is necessarily bad. Would you agree with that? I think so. I think so. What's the great mantra? It's not anymore, mind you. But what was the great mantra of fitness? No pain, no gain. I knew it really, really well by experience. But there is a whole lot of suffering that happens in the world, and I don't want to belittle that suffering. What I'm trying to get you to understand is some suffering is okay. And we willingly engage with that. And this is us as humans. And so when I'm talking about the starvation, the cancer, those types of things, I, I, I'm not belittling that. It is horrendous. I hate it. And we've walked that journey with a number of our friends who have been terminal and we've watched them die. So the presence of suffering doesn't automatically rule out the potential and possibility for God to be all-powerful and all-loving. Who wants to fall in love? I can speak to the young people here. I mean, seriously, don't be embarrassed about it. Love's the most amazing thing. Yeah, I think you should. I think you'd want to. Now, the thing is, if you were so concerned about the pain of rejection that you would suffer when you approach someone, would you just say, well, I am not going to love. I'm just not going to find a partner. Would you do that? Not if you're anything like me. You just pursue them longer and harder. Elena didn't have a chance. I think it was two weeks before I told her I was going to marry her, and I was right, she was wrong. But you fall in love, and when you fall out of love, there's this, there's this it's a terrible thing. It, it is really painful, and you, you don't think you're going to get over it. I'm sure there's some of the parents here who have had their teenage kids going to die. Hey, it's just, they're just going to die. They're not going to survive. But ultimately, you get through it, and you look for love again, because... That feeling, that euphoric feeling you get in love is worth pursuing. And in all of this, we're pursuing happiness. That's what we want. We, we want to be happy. And so if our desire and pursuit is for happiness, in the midst of that, we have to realize that the opposite is also possible. If we are pursuing love there is a chance we're going to be rejected and we're going to suffer as a result. But it is worth it. I obviously would say it is definitely worth it. And if I, as a mere mortal, say, well, the pursuit of happiness and everything, all the risks involved in that pursuit are worth it because of the outcome that is achieved in the end, then I think a God who is all-powerful and loving knows best the reasons and purpose for the suffering that we're going to face in this life. He's not ever going to make us choose one thing or another. Understand what I just said. He's not going to make us choose one thing or another. He's given us free will. We can do what we want. And our free will allows us to interact in this world with real relationships, making moral choices, being creative, being faithful, showing courage, and all the other incredible things that make us human beings the choices that we make. And God's never going to force decisions upon us. And none of those things, none of those relationships would be possible if we didn't have free will. It is the essence of who we are. 
And so, in all that we have said there, we'd all agree now that some suffering is actually good. Well, the risk of it, the outcome is worth it. But what about Hitler, the killing fields, war? What's that all about? Can't God just step in and stop those big things? Can't God just say, well, you know, this, that's not right. I'm just going to stop that. I'm not going to let those guys go down that path. And again, I don't have any real answers. But my experience has been such that even in the midst of those situations, God is not unloving. And he does some incredible works with people in the midst of the most terrible situations. But perhaps we can modify our three points. And so we modify it to this. If a loving and all-powerful God exists, he would not allow purposeless suffering. Okay, so we understand that all the suffering that we have could be for a purpose. And purposeless suffering exists. So therefore, a loving God does not exist. Could you understand that reasoning? I think, or would you agree that if you presented that to your friends, they would agree with those statements? They would say that's about where they are with God and things like that. In actual fact, this isn't too far from where we believe. Don't leave in shock and horror. It's not too far from where we believe. So if we just changed a couple of things, this is what we have. If a loving and all-powerful God exists, he would not allow purposeless suffering. If we flip the last two, a loving God does exist. Therefore, purposeless suffering does not exist. Do you agree with that? Have you seen in statement one, have you seen in both these, sorry, statement one remains the same. And the only difference being that we declare to be the truth of God when we make these statements. Think about the God we worship. Do you know him to be a loving God? Do you understand him to be that type of deity? The Bible is riddled with verses that emphasize God's incredible love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's an incredible thing. And then 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we could be, should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And Romans 5, 8, But God shows his love in our, for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is God's unconditional love for us. He moved before we did anything. There was nothing I could do to draw God to me. He said, you know what? Charlie is at his worst, but that doesn't matter. I love him. I'm going to step into that space and I'm going to draw him to myself. So our Bible and hopefully our lives reflect and declare again and again that God is indeed a loving God who cares so deeply for us. 
And my declaration of faith is that God is loving. And trust me, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if that wasn't the case and if I didn't believe it. And the presence of suffering does not exclude the ability or truth that God can be a loving and all-powerful God. What our declaration says is that we have confidence in God that this present suffering is not without purpose. But that brings us to another problem. What about personal suffering? Can I just encourage you, when people are suffering, don't use Christian cliches. It's just so inadequate. You know, I've been working through Job again. I'm jumping ahead here, I think. We all found these Christian platitudes to people who are suffering and they are so incredibly inadequate. When asked for our loved ones are suffering, we often turn to that why question. We are all on a journey of faith and all is good when our faith is keeping up with our understanding of what is happening to us and our loved ones. When that curveball comes and we don't understand what is going on, we're left asking why. And you know what? More often than not, the answers don't come. This is when we need to dig in. This is when we need to reflect on our lives, all that God has done, how he's encouraged us before, how he has carried us in the previous dark times, how he has shown his love to us, why we became Christians in the first place, what it was that drew us to God. And I've got to tell you, this is not necessarily going to ease the pain of your present situation, but it will allow you to acknowledge afresh who God is and how he spoke to you, how he moved in, through and around you and how he cared for you previously. He is an unchanging God, totally unchanging. And he still loves and cares for you, even in the midst of suffering. And most of you know that I can testify to the goodness in my life. It's just like the passage that Ryan read out earlier from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 11. My world fell apart. My wife left me. I had a daughter that wasn't even 12 months old. I didn't get to see her. I lost my job. I lost my friends. I lost my financial security. I was removed from my church. I didn't have any support. And in the midst of everything, there was one thread that remained constant. That was Jesus Christ is Lord. And I've got to tell you, I was a blubbering mess on the floor more often than not. But Jesus still remained constant. He was Lord. And the one reality that I have is that he carried me through that. He brought me through the other side. And he alone was my comfort and my security at that time. And I can say, even with all that, that God is good. And my hardships and suffering didn't change that. In fact, it emphasized it. It drew me closer to God. And God has this big picture which we cannot possibly understand. Now I come to the story of Job. He's this incredibly blessed man. And then he literally loses everything overnight. I've been working through Job again. His entire family gets killed. All his assets get stolen. Everything gets taken away. And he's left with this wife whose instruction to him is, Curse God and die wonderful and he's also got these three friends 
three miserable friends who do the right thing at first and just sit with him, which I encourage you to do. Just sit with those who are suffering. Don't say anything. Just be their friend. Be alongside them. And so Job's three friends come and sit with him and then they go into this incredible dialogue about how wicked and evil and sinful he must be for all of this to happen. And Job asks that why question. Job says that I can't hear from God. I don't know what is going on. I've lived my life before him. If I could hear from God, God will testify to all I have done, how I have lived. But I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why this is happening. Why God? Why? And Job says God's going to vindicate me when he speaks. But before God does that, he questions Job. He says, who are you? Where were you when I did this? How did you do this? And Job, there's something that happens in that dialogue. And when God is finished speaking to Job, Job says this. I know that you can do all things. He's speaking to God and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and make, me, make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Something happened to Job in the presence of God. Was like, you know, everything that is going on here is of no consequence. This is God, and I have no right to question him. And again, I don't understand. In the midst of Job's incredible suffering, he says, I'm wrong, you're right, God. And I can't explain that. But it's obviously very, very significant to Job. And Job doesn't get his answer to why. God doesn't respond to that, doesn't tell him. I can't explain suffering. I don't know why God allows it, but I trust him. I do. I really trust him. And one of the big arguments against God is that he sits aloof in heaven, detached from us, not willing to interact with us. His attitude is one of uncaring and self-serving. But the one thing that is central to our faith is the cross of Christ. Jesus came into our world fully human, and I want you to think about the fact that he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying so fervently that he sweats droplets of blood. And an angel comes and ministers to him and strengthens him. Why did that angel come and minister and strengthen, to him, strengthen him? I believe it's because he didn't have the strength to go as far as he needed to on the cross. And so that angel ministered to him and strengthened him for the journey that was before him. And we know that Jesus said, Lord... If there be another way for this to happen, please, let's do it that way, but not my will, your will be done. And he submitted to the Father and he did what the Father called him to do. And then he goes to the cross and Jesus is hanging on the cross after being flogged. And in Matthew 27, 46, it's about the ninth hour and Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is Jesus suspended between earth and heaven, carrying all of our sins upon him, taking the punishment for each one of us. And he says, God, why? Did he get an answer? No. Not that we know of. 
And if Jesus, the very Son of God, didn't get an answer for that, why should we expect an answer? He carried all of our sins, took all of our punishment, so that I could be restored. Called the Son of the Most High God. Does he want to end suffering? Yes, he does. And that's what we're told in Revelation 21.4. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's our hope. And when we stand in his presence, we are not going to have any more pain and suffering. And I can't wait for that day. But there's this period between then and now that we have to live through. And that involves suffering, just as Jesus suffered. And it is part of who we are as humans. And it's not a question of whether we are going to suffer. It's a question of whether we are going to trust God in the midst of that. And if we do, he will meet us. He will carry us and we will endure to the very end. This evening, I just want, to think, want you to think about the times you've suffered, the times your friends have suffered, the times where you've asked that question, why? And you know what? It's okay to be angry when you ask that question you don't get the answer that you want. But I want you to think about those times. And perhaps tonight God's saying, I was with you. You just needed to ask. I was willing to carry you through that. And perhaps tonight's a night where you just need to come to Christ and say, Lord, I'm sorry for not trusting you. I understand that now you're with us through that suffering. You carry us in the midst of that. Take this as an opportunity to draw closer to him. If you want to be prayed for, Pastor Brendan's here, I'm here, Pastor David's up the back. I'm going to close in prayer and then I'll hand back to the worship team. Father God, difficult message. I pray that there's been stuff that people have been able to take from that. I pray, Lord, that you'll help them to dwell upon it and think about it. I pray that they'll revisit the passages of Scripture, that they'll even look up what it means in Scripture for suffering and that, Lord, they'll lean more heavily into you. And, you, Lord, there's people who are suffering here tonight. We don't know the ins and outs of everyone's lives, but I pray by power of Holy Spirit that you'll minister to them, that they'll know your presence and love. They'll know your grace being poured out upon them. And that, Lord, they will just trust you in the midst of whatever they're going through. And that, Father, when they come out the other side, they'll be able to reflect on how you have carried them, how you have been constant, how you have never changed, and that you met them in the midst of those trials. So, Father, we submit to you, we love you, and we ask you to take your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just stand for our final song.
See 